Welcome to New Life with Adam Camp. This podcast is a ministry of Rosemont Baptist Church in LaGrange, Georgia. Please visit us on the web at rosemontchurch.org. Enjoy the podcast. Let's pray. God, thank you. Thank you for being our King and for welcoming us to your throne, for making us right before you in the blood of Jesus Christ, for welcoming us in and telling us that we can boldly and confidently come before you, praise your name and worship you and have a relationship with you that's personal. God, thank you for the word and how you direct our lives through it. Thank you that you care about our ways on this earth and you desire that they be directed in a path that's not only honoring and pleasing to you, but it does bring blessing in our lives. Lord, we are grateful that your presence is with us. You've not abandoned us in this world, but you are intimately acquainted with our ways. God, as we dive into Scripture today, I pray that you would lead us in this and you would help us to be challenged in our faith. We cry out to your name, God. We ask that you would produce in us a testimony of faith to this world, a testimony of righteousness, a testimony of the fear of God, a testimony of hope in Jesus Christ. Work these things in our lives and help us to bring you glory and honor with our lives. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, good morning. It's a blessing to be here. Um, Adam came to me a few weeks ago and asked me if I'd be willing to fill in for him. And uh, he's, as you know, he's been working through the book of Genesis. If you're new with us, he, uh, Pastor Adam's been working through the book of Genesis and uh, one, one section at a time. Uh, we might get through it. Um, by the time I'm an old man, but uh, uh, but we're, it's you know it's great to take it a little at a time because you get to see so many great things and not rush through things too much. But um, when he asked me, uh, I kind of got to thinking about what was coming up next in the book of Genesis and um, whether or not I would continue in that. And I thought, man, just my luck, it's going to land in the genealogy or something. And uh, sure enough. Landed right smack in Genesis chapter 5 in the genealogy. But I've learned some really amazing things from this that I'd like to show you this morning uh, from Genesis chapter 5. If you'd be willing to open your Bible to Genesis chapter 5, we'll see some great things that God teaches us um, in this genealogy. And as you know, Adam pointed out last week that sometimes when we get to the genealogies, we kind of skim over those things so that we can get to the good stuff, the more exciting things, the stories of, you know, death and destruction and and, uh, faith and all the great awesome things that happen but in the genealogies it's kind of you get there and it's kind of you get bogged down so and so begat so and so and they had this many kids and you're going I don't even know can't pronounce their name so I'm not really sure if this can apply to my life but there's some really uh, interesting things about the way God lays out scripture and the way God uh, describes for us the lives of these men and what sets them apart from other men and the lives of these people and how this is the beginning of the lineage of Jesus Christ and our salvation. 
There's a heritage here. There's a legacy that's left by these people that lasts for eternity because it's affecting the souls of everybody on the planet, even here in the 21st century. This legacy that they left was not about their name or their namesake or their kingdom or whatever they could build with their hands or the reputation that they could build for their family, but it was about the name of Jesus Christ and the name of God. It was a godly legacy that they set apart for God Himself. So in this chapter, we begin to dive into this genealogy and see the family of Seth. Now, Pastor Adam talked about the genealogy, kind of a a lineage of Cain um, last week. We know that Adam and Eve had two sons. They had uh, Abel and Cain, and uh, Cain killed his brother Abel. And then we see in Genesis that God kind of described what happened to Cain's family as a result of the sin that they became involved in. And then Adam and Eve had another son. His name was Seth. And then Seth had all these other kids uh, mentioned in chapter 5. And then uh, we'll see some other genealogies here in a second. But what's really cool is what sets this boy apart and his family apart from Cain and his family. If you'll back up a couple of verses to Genesis 4, verse 25, I'd like to start reading there. Adam had relations with his wife again, and she gave birth to a son and named him Seth. For he said, God has appointed me another offspring in place of Abel. For Cain killed him. To Seth, to him also a son was born, and he called his name Enosh. Then the men began to call upon the name of the Lord. That right there is kind of the key to this whole section. Then the men began to call upon the name of the Lord. Now I'm going to kind of put a uh, genealogy picture up here for you so that you can kind of see who all is in this passage of Scripture. Um, this, these are all the people that are mentioned in Genesis chapter 5. And you can get kind of bogged down in all these numbers, and they can get a little bit confusing. I'll try to sum it up as best I can. But what's really interesting about this is uh, the thing that sets this group of guys apart from Cain and some of the other guys in Scripture is that these men called upon the name of the Lord their God. And that's what sets us apart from everybody else on planet Earth. Is that we are people that call upon the name of the Lord our God by faith in Jesus Christ. This sets us apart. This makes us different and it affected the lives of the generations to follow. Now you'll notice that um, there's several names. There's some of them you might remember because we talk about them a lot. Methuselah is the oldest guy. And uh, Noah, of course, the, Noah and the flood. Shem was his son. Shem, Ham, and Japheth. Um, and then right there in the middle, Enoch. You know, we know him because, uh, because he's a little different than the others. God took him off the planet so that he didn't have to die a physical death. So we'll talk about that in a second. But you'll notice when, how old they were when they became... Um, when they became fathers of this particular, of the next son in that line. Um, now, if you're on this side, sorry, our projector's out today. But uh, so I'll try to, you can, al- you can always look in Genesis chapter 5 if you like, and you can see all those details there as well. Um, but right there, you'll, if you were to add all those numbers up, you'd get to 1,556 years from Adam to Shem. And you'll see that, you know, all the way down through Adam, that there's kind of this pattern. Each section talks about one of those guys. There's a few verses about Adam, about Seth, about Enosh, about Kenan. But then if you were to jump over to Genesis chapter 11, you don't have to, but you can, there's another genealogy. It starts with Shem. And if you look into that genealogy, you'll see that there are 390 years from Shem to Abraham. 
And then if you go to Matthew chapter 1, you see the genealogy there before, uh, before Jesus. You see uh, three sets of 14 generations, 42 generations from Abraham to Jesus. So you have 1,556 years plus 390 years plus 42 generations. Now, unfortunately, generations are a little bit hard to understand, especially at first when everybody was living an average of eight to 900 years. And then the Lord kind of changed the average age to about 120 because of sin on the earth. That seems a little bit more normal considering where we're at today. But um, you can kind of get an average approximate age of the earth according to Scripture. If you were to go by the literal numbers in Scripture, you could estimate somewhere a little over 6,000 years to today from the time that Adam was created by the hand of God. 6,000 years. Now that flies in the face of most of what we're hearing um, in science and history and things of that nature. However, uh, more and more evidence is being produced um, to indicate a younger earth um, that evolutionists are having a harder and harder time explaining as things are discovered and as history unfolds and as science Develops And so, um, in Scripture, if you were to take this, you could see that the earth is somewhere around 6,000 to 10,000 years old, meaning that we have a pretty young earth. Now, obviously, before the flood, things were a little bit different. People don't live to be 900 years anymore. That seems a little strange. Um, but what's interesting here, and I'd like to pull some truths out. I'm going to come back to that. But I'm going to pull some truths out about this fact that this particular genealogy of guys were different, and it wasn't because they were the firstborn. If you were to study these people, they were not the firstborn. We know that, we know that Seth was not the firstborn of Adam and, Adam and Eve, and Shem was actually not the firstborn of Noah. Japheth was recorded in the Bible as being the firstborn. So this is not about being firstborn. That's not how they got to be in this lineage. Um, these people are in this lineage because they called upon the name of the Lord their God. These were godly people. And these were people that God pulled aside to make them part of the genealogy of Christ. And uh, you'll see some very interesting things. And this is, this is why it matters to me. Because I desire to have a heritage or an inheritance or an investment that I pour into the generation of my children and my children's children, the future generations. And even if I didn't have kids, I would want to have an impact. I think everybody on earth is really striving to have some kind of an impact on the world around us. That's why we want to do something big. We want to do something that matters. We want to do something that lasts. We want to kind of be known. There's this... There's this um, this popular movement right now towards extreme fame. Everybody is hungering and thirsting for everybody in the world to know who they are. And this is why we have multiple social media accounts and thousands of friends and people that we don't know who those people are, but they know us and we see their pictures and they see our pictures and, uh, and they read our political rants every once in a while on our social media sites. And, and, uh, so, but it's coming from a hunger to be known by people. And we kind of have this desire to press on towards a legacy that we can maybe even send towards our kids. And sometimes as dads especially kind of have this um, inner desire to pass on something special to their children that they can be proud of. In fact, um, you know, I have, I'm, I'm very grateful to have two sons and, um, and two daughters. I'm very grateful for both of them. But you know what's great about having sons is I've got that namesake. You know, they're going to be able to grow up and carry on the family 
family name. And I have some friends, um, they, they, uh, uh, they're still trying to have a namesake. So they have lots of girls in their house. They're still working on that namesake. Um, but so far they hadn't gotten any girls. Um, and, you know, it's really interesting because we have this desire to pass on the name, to carry the legacy, and some of that's fine. But in reality... What we really want to give to our children and to our children's children, the girls and the boys, is a legacy that's beyond our personal name, our personal namesake, that's our personal heritage. I could build a great kingdom for myself and save up millions of dollars to give as inheritance to my children, and that will either help them or ruin them, one or the other. But um, when I give that inheritance, usually I have to die in order for that to be given to them. And in order to do that, once, once I'm gone, once I'm dead, if that brings them pleasure, if that helps their life, it does nothing for me. Now, it might give me some peace of mind before I go to know that I've helped them out. It might even make me feel a little proud to say, look what I've built for my children. But once I'm dead, once I'm dead that pride's going to do nothing for me personally. And unfortunately, I think sometimes we spend our lives striving after the wind, striving after something that will last forever, when in reality, that stuff falls through our fingers like grains of sand. And a generation or two after we're gone, for many of us, our names are forgotten. But there's something that can last more in a more eternal way than that. There's a guy that probably none of us know. His name is Mr. Kimball. He was... uh, in 1858, I don't know if anybody know who Mr. Kimball is. Okay, I, don't, I didn't know who this was either. In fact, when I put this down today, I'm going to forget his name, all right? But uh, he was a Sunday school teacher. You know, we all want to believe that being a Sunday school teacher has an impact. We want to know that that has an impact on the generations around us. He was a Sunday school teacher, but, you know, sometimes we say, you know, if I'm not the preacher, if I'm not the guy making videos, I'm not the guy writing books, or I'm not the guy out there being the president of the United States, and maybe I'm not being the impact. If I don't have a blog with so many followers, I don't really have that great of an impact. This guy was a Sunday school teacher in 1858, uh, and he, he led a shoe clerk to Jesus Christ, and uh, that guy's name was Dwight L. Moody, and he came to found Moody Bible Institute in the United States of America, training, still training people in the gospel ministry. And he was, became an evangelist in 1879, and he won a guy to Christ, and it was Frederick Mayer. I don't know that guy. I don't know. Do you guys know Frederick Mayer? I don't know who that is, and, uh, but he became a pastor of a small church. Sometimes pastors of small churches feel like they really don't have that great of an impact, preaching to the same audience week after week, not really seeing much fruit, and they're kind of wondering, am I really having an impact on the kingdom of God. This guy faithfully preached the gospel of Jesus Christ, and uh, he brought a a student named Wilbur Chapman to Jesus Christ, and uh, and then he won somebody to Christ named Billy Sunday, and Billy Sunday won a man to Christ. His name was Billy Graham, and we all know, uh, many of us know that Billy Graham uh, has preached the gospel to more people in live audiences than anyone else in history. Nearly 215 million people in more than 185 countries and territories have heard the gospel because of Billy Graham. So a Sunday school teacher, you say, you know, nobody remembers his name. His namesake has been forgotten. But the legacy of faith has impacted the world far beyond the grave. So there's something that we can build as an inheritance for our children and the children's children. Even if we don't have kids, the people that we impact in Sunday school or in the workplace or wherever we're at, our lives will have an impact whether we like it or not. You know, some people say that our lives can be summed up in the dash between the dates on our tombstone. You know, date of birth, date of death, and there's the little dash that goes between. That sums up my whole life. Unfortunately, well, fortunately, that's not the truth because... 
far after I'm dead, the choices that I make in the life that I live today will impact my children whether I like it or not. The good decisions and the bad decisions. You look at Adam's life and it affected the life of Cain. His poor decisions affected the life of Cain and his children. And his good decisions, his righteousness, and his walk with the Lord affected the life of his son Abel and his son Seth. And it affected those men that came after that. So there's this godly heritage, but that godly heritage comes from calling upon the name of God. So there's a truth here that I want you to see from Adam. The first truth is that a godly heritage testifies of faith. In Genesis chapter 5, verse 1, it says this, This is the book of the generations of Adam in the day when God created man. He made him in the likeness of God. He created the male and female, and he blessed them and named them man in the day that they were created. So this is kind of a recount of creation. God created man, male and female, and he named them mankind. Politically correct or not, the biblically correct God-given name for humankind is mankind. Verse 3, now that's not a, well, man got his name after that. So then verse 3 it says, when Adam had lived 130 years, he became the father of a son in his own likeness according to his image, and he named him Seth. Then the days of Adam, after he became the father of Seth, were 800 years, and he had other sons and daughters, so that the days of Adam, the days Adam lived were 930 years, and he died. There's something interesting about Adam that I want you to see, and it is that it says specifically about Adam, like it doesn't say about anybody else, but it's implied about everybody else, that when Adam gave birth to his son, he was created, he was made in the likeness of Adam. And in Adam's image in this particular case. Now we know that all of us have been born in the image of God. Adam was made in the image of God to reflect the character and the quality and the glory of God on earth. But Adam sinned, and because of that sin, it corrupted all of mankind after that. That curse is something that every single one of us are born into. We are born with a curse of the flesh and a curse of the soul. Our bodies are cursed in sin, and our souls are cursed under the guilt of that first sin that Adam made. So when we come from the descendants of Adam then we are born in His image as well as in God's image, meaning that we have qualities that Adam portrayed as well as what God portrayed. Not that we are designed to reflect Adam, but because of the curse, we naturally reflect Adam. I reflect the sin of Adam every time I sin. And Adam's choice to be righteous and to be good even though he struggled in sin is the same choice that I face every day of my life. So in many ways we can imitate and we can follow the life of Adam but what's interesting here is that his sons demonstrated faith. In Hebrews chapter 11 verse 1 it says, Now faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the convictions of things not seen. For by it men of old gained approval. For by faith we understand that the worlds were prepared by the word of God, so that what is seen was not made out of things which are visible. By faith Abel offered to God a better sacrifice than Cain, through which he obtained the testimony that he was righteous. God testifying about his gifts And through faith, though he is dead, he still speaks. So this faith that Adam instilled in the life of his boys is a testimony to the generations that followed Seth 
and Abel and Adam, even after they've long been dead, they are a testimony to us of faith in Christ. You flip to Hebrews and you see what we call the hall of faith. All these great men in the word of God who demonstrated faith in their life as a testimony, not to their own glory, but to the glory of the one true name that is to be carried out, to carried on above all other names, that is Jesus Christ, the name of the Lord God. And this is the legacy that we are wanting to have as a testimony from our lives. This is what I want for my children, is a testimony of faith. I want my children to hear my life testifying of genuine faith in God. So however I live my life, the way that I live my life, the way that I make my choices, the way that we prioritize things as a family, the way that we decide how to spend money or or what to spend our time on or how we make decisions. Uh, When I want my kids to see that faith directs all of that, my faith in God and my relationship with God directs all of that. And I know that this is the key to all of that, and it is that men call upon the name of the Lord their God. And I know that I will not build faith in my own life and I will not instill a legacy of faith in my children's life unless I am constantly calling upon the name of the Lord my God. This will produce faith in my life. This is something that I will not be able to maintain faith in God if I am not calling upon the name of the Lord my God. So Adam is an example of this great faith that we have, but also a testimony of a godly heritage testifies of righteousness. There's a righteousness that's testified by some of these guys. Now, you'll see that throughout here, there's kind of a pattern that goes along with some of these. In each section, you have a father that's named, you have how old he was when he had a son, and then you have, uh, you have the name of the son, and then how old he was, how many years he lived after he gave birth to his son, and that it states, with each one of these people in this genealogy, it states that they had other sons and daughters, and then it states that they died and what, how old they were when they died. Every one of these guys follows the exact same pattern throughout this genealogy. But there's a few of them that have something special mentioned about them. One of them was Enoch. In verse 21 it says, Enoch lived 65 years and became the father of Methuselah. Then Enoch walked with God 300 years after he became the father of Methuselah, and he had other sons and daughters. So all the days of Enoch were 365 years, and Enoch walked with God, and he was not for God took him. So something very special about Enoch. There was something special about the way Enoch lived his life. The testimony that comes out of his life is righteousness. We get a clue of that in Hebrews. In Hebrews 11.5 it says, By faith Enoch was taken up so that he would not see death. And he was not found because God took him up. For he obtained the witness that before his being taken up he was pleasing to God. The witness that was testified The testimony coming out of the life of Enoch is that Enoch was pleasing to God. Now we know that according to this scripture, without faith, in Hebrews, without faith it is impossible to please God. We know that we are saved by grace through faith in Jesus Christ. And our salvation is something that is bought and paid for by Jesus Christ. And when we put our faith in Jesus Christ, this secures our pleasing God, our our standing before God legally. We are paid for and we no longer have to pay the price for the sin um, that we have committed. However, there is a a sense about Enoch's life that implies a daily walk that he had with God. It seemed to imply that Enoch was walking with God in such a way that some of the other men of this time did not not walk with God, much like maybe the way Adam and Eve walked with God in the cool of the garden. 
But Enoch walked with God, and, and the Bible says in Hebrews, that without faith it's impossible to please God, for he who comes to God must believe that he is, and that he is a rewarder of those who seek him. This lifestyle that he lived was a walk, a lifestyle. It wasn't just faith alone. James says, faith without works is dead. Jesus says, if you love me, you will keep my commands. God tells us that holiness is something that he wants us to strive for. Be holy, for I am holy. So there is a sense of righteousness in our behavior as Christians that God desires and longs for and paid for. He paid the price for our sins. We do not do these good works that God's prepared for us. We don't do these so that we can secure our salvation, make it, um, make it better or become more saved. We do these things because we seek to please God, because we love God. These come as a fruit of righteousness in our lives because we have faith in Jesus Christ, because we are pleasing to God, we now desire to live a life that's pleasing to God. In Deuteronomy chapter 4, verse 8, it says, what great nation is there that has statutes and judgments as righteous as this whole law which I'm setting before you today? Only give heed to yourself and keep your soul diligently. So he's implying this diligent keeping of the law of God. So that you do not forget the things which your eyes have seen and they do not depart from your heart all the days of your life, but make them known to your sons and grandsons. This is something that he wants us to pass on from generation to generation. Obedience to the law. This is something that can be very easily lost in our generation. We desire to accept the fact that we have been saved by grace through faith in Jesus Christ and our assurance of salvation has to rest on that alone. However, we cannot deny the fact that Paul says, shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? God forbid. We must strive for righteousness, not only for our own sake in this world that we live. God says, what happens when we honor our fathers and mothers in obedience? Naturally, our lives will be longer. And so we do this not only for our own sakes, but also for our children's sakes. We know that if we leave a legacy for our children to demonstrate disobedience, that it will affect our children. You look all throughout the Word of God at the history of all these men. You see godly men who made mistakes. But then if you keep reading, you see the sons of those men making the exact same mistakes that their dads made. It's a tough legacy, kind of a scary legacy, but also a hopeful legacy because the righteousness is passed on as well. But that's why it's so important that we do pay attention to our lifestyle as Christians. Deuteronomy chapter 5 says, Oh, that they had such a heart in them that they would fear me and keep all my commandments, always, that I may be well with them and with their sons forever. So that you shall observe to do just as the Lord your God has commanded you. You shall not turn aside to the right or to the left. You shall walk in a way that the Lord your God has commanded you, that you may live and that it may be well with you, and that you may prolong your days in the land which you will possess. He's talking about walking, not turning to the right or to the left, to the commands of God. He desires that his Christians, his people, us, the people who call upon the name of God, his heart for us is that we would have a heart for obedience. Deuteronomy 6, 4, he says, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, your soul, your mind, and your strength. These words which I'm commanding you today shall be on your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your sons. Talk of them when you sit in your house and when you walk by the way, when you lie down and when you rise up. You shall bind them as a sign on your hand, and they shall be as frontals on your forehead. You shall write them on the doorposts on the house and on your gates. 
So this righteousness has to be part of our lifestyle. So if I want to leave a godly heritage for the generations to come, then I need to be living a life that testifies of faith and I need to be living a life that testifies of righteousness, not just in my approval before God and my faith in that, but in my behavior as well. We know that God's desire is to transform us by the renewing of our minds, that we would be instruments of worship to God. And that transformation is what God calls in Scripture sanctification, a continual process of change in the Christian life. Now, this is specifically a challenge for Christians. If you are a lost person or you're visiting today and you're struggling with your salvation, this is not the point for you to wrestle with. Because God desires that you first call upon His name in faith for salvation, believing in Him by grace for salvation. But for us as Christians, there is a strong challenge here in the life of Enoch, a demonstration of righteousness. And then also a godly heritage testifies of the fear of God. You'll notice in Genesis chapter 6, there's a guy that was born of Enoch. His name was Methuselah. It's kind of famous because he was considered to be the oldest guy in the world. He's the only one that... uh, Um, that we know of that's lived that long. The only recorded man that's lived to be 969 years old. In verse 25 it says, Methuselah lived 187 years, became the father of Lamech. And Methuselah lived 782 years, and he became the father of Lamech, and had other sons and daughters. So the days of Methuselah were 969 years, and he died. Now when I was in Sunday school growing up, I thought this guy was really cool. I thought, man, what would that have been like to live 969 years old? Nowadays, we're probably like, sure glad I don't have to live 969 years, you know? I always kind of wondered why God didn't go ahead and let him to live, live to be 1,000, because that would have just been really cool, you know? I mean, why not? I mean, you live 969 years, why not a few more? But there's actually something really interesting about how old Methuselah was. Um, if you were to take how old he is, when he had his first, or when he had... Um, when he had Lamech, and then how old Lamech was when he had, had Noah, and then how, how old Noah was when he had Shimham and Japheth. That's 500 years plus 182 years plus 187 years. Um, that is 900 and, or plus 100 years because 100 years later the flood comes. Noah was 600 years old when the flood comes. You add all those numbers together, it's 969 years. So Methuselah died either in the flood or right before the flood. He died right there when the flood took place. And something interesting about Methuselah's name, some say his name itself is a prophecy of that flood, that it was coming. That there was an awareness that the judgment of God was coming on the earth because people were increasingly not calling upon the name of the Lord their God. People were increasingly becoming more wicked and more depraved. And there was this impending judgment that people knew was coming. And here was this man whose name itself means, um, means the javelin of God. Or they, they kind of felt like this was the way the Hebrew um, explains his name kind of implies that his death will come and then the judgment of God will come. The arrow of God's wrath will come upon the earth. And so what I see here is, is not just a testimony of faith, a testimony of righteousness, but also a testimony of the healthy fear of God, knowing that the judgment of God is for real. Now we know that when the flood took place and after the year of the flood, God posted the rainbow and he said that uh, he set it up as a covenant saying that there were, he would no longer flood the earth with water. But we do know throughout the prophecies of the word of God that God is withholding another judgment for this earth. 
And unfortunately, we see in Scripture that, um, well, we see in our world that uh, we have a hard time telling the, the whole truth. We want to talk and teach and preach the things that make us feel the best about the Word of God. But when it comes to things like judgment and wrath and sin and punishment, we tiptoe around those things because we don't want to offend people. And unfortunately, the, the fact of the matter is if somebody does not know Jesus Christ, they cannot look at Scripture through the eyes of the Holy Spirit. And so they're going to have a hard time understanding God's justice and God's wrath and God's punishment of sin in light of God's grace and God's mercy and God's loving kindness. This is a, Paul calls it a mystery because to most of the world it's a mystery. In fact, it's more than a mystery. It makes people mad. And so the problem is the tendency for the church is for us to not speak it because we're afraid it's going to make people mad. But we already know it's going to make people mad. And the thing is the truth is what will set people free. And so right here in the midst of this testimony, coming out of the lives of these people that give us a heritage is a testimony of a healthy fear of God. In Exodus chapter 34, verse 6 and 7, it says this, The Lord passed by in front of him and proclaimed, The Lord, the Lord God, compassionate and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in loving kindness. Great things about God that make me feel good. Verse 7, who keeps loving kindness for thousands, who forgives iniquity and transgression. Still making me feel good. And then, yet, he will by no means leave the guilty unpunished, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children and on the grandchildren to the third and fourth generations. I'm no longer feeling good. All right, so the, all this great stuff about the love of God and the mercy of God and the forgiveness of God. However, God is just and he will punish to the third and fourth generations. Very scary things to think about and to read, especially if you have kids. It's a heavy, it creates a heavy heart. And I know that the way the scripture reads when I look into scripture, I know that it's more than just natural consequences. Certainly, if I make some bad decisions and natural consequences come to me, then they will affect my children. But spiritually speaking, the things that I hand down to my kids, I know that my kids inherit a certain piece of my physical DNA. Hair color, eye color, personality, you know, weird personalities. They inherit all these kinds of things about me physically. But there's also an aspect of the image of God that's passed down through me and the soul that they receive that's affected by me. The sins that I commit or the bondages that I might live under or try to hide through life. And if my kids never even know about some of those sin struggles I had, there's a chance that they may struggle with some of the same things. And so there's this sense of urgency, this testimony of these men that calls me calls me to have a fear of God. And I want to leave that kind of a legacy for my kids that I have a healthy fear of God. And so I'm calling upon the name of the Lord in my life that He will help me to have a healthy fear of God so that I don't go through life ignoring the fact that He does hate sin and He does love righteousness and that He would motivate me and move me to live a righteous lifestyle. But He doesn't stop there. The last guy that I really want to focus on is Lamech in verse 28. He lived 182 years and became the father of his son. Now he called his name Noah. 
Lamech is a really neat guy because he's the father of Noah. But he says something really interesting. He says, this one will give us rest from our work and from the toil of our hands arising from the ground which the Lord has cursed. We have a a godly heritage that also testifies of hope. This is what I want to leave for my kids. Not just a heritage that tells my kids, look, reality is the judgment of God is coming. You just better get through your head. All right? So, you know, righteousness consequences, justice. I'm going to be just. I'm going to be fair with my kids. I'm going to try to teach them right and wrong. And, you know, when they cross that line, there's going to be, you know, consequence. Because after all, God does the same thing. So I'm trying to teach them about God. All right. So, but I also need to teach them about grace and about mercy and about hope of forgiveness. Because in the midst of all this, here's a man, Lamech. It's really interesting. If you were to look at Lamech, he's really close to the end of this genealogy of the flood here. His life and Adam's life overlap by 56 years. So Adam, he's an eyewitness of the Garden of Eden. You can imagine for all these years he's been telling people about what the Garden of Eden was like. All these years he's been telling people about the tree of life and the tree of knowledge of good and evil and the fact that he messed up and he committed this sin and it cursed the whole world. That's a lot of years for people to really not like you. And then so he's telling all these people this stuff. So you know Lamech has heard all these stories and he's heard about the curse and he's heard about how the serpent was going to strike man on the heel but the man was going to crush the head of the serpent and he knew about the consequences of sin. And so Lamech had to know that there was somewhere along the lines, there was going to be this Savior. There was going to be relief from the the death and the destruction and the pain of the curse that they were all living under. He said, this one will give us rest from our work, from the toil of our hands, arising from the ground which the Lord has cursed. And he was speaking of Noah. He didn't know that the flood was coming. There's no indication that he knew about it. But we do know that when Noah loaded his family on the ark and then um, God flooded the entire earth and destroyed the entire world. That ark became a salvation for those people. It was a picture of us putting our faith in Jesus Christ, the coming of Jesus Christ who is going to be our salvation. Everyone who puts their faith in Jesus Christ escapes the coming judgment from God. In Hebrews eleven seven says, By faith Noah, being warned by God about these things not yet seen, In reverence, prepared an ark for salvation of his household, by which he condemned the world and became an heir of the righteousness, which is by faith. That's not very Christian. He condemned the world. Okay, but he, uh, you know, he, he loaded his family on the ark and everybody else died. But this was God punishing sin. But there was hope in the midst of it all. We see in chapter 6, verse 3, This is what happens to the world. The Lord said, My spirit shall not strive with man forever because he also is flesh. Nevertheless, his days shall be 120 years. He was looking at men and seeing how wicked they were becoming. He was saying, Look, 900 years, a little too long to live. I'm going to reduce the average lifespan of man to 120 years, which seems a little bit more normal to where we're at today. In fact, um, if somebody reaches 100 years old now, they're pretty much on national news. Um, and, and now, you know, when I was a kid, I feel like I knew more people that were 100 years old. I don't know. Maybe everybody just seemed that old when I was a kid. But, um, that's, you know, that's kind of the way it was. But it's interesting. In Romans chapter 8, it says, The anxious longing of creation waits eagerly for the revealing of the sons of God. In verse 22 in, in Romans 8, it says, We know that the whole creation groans and suffers the pains of childbirth together until now. 
And not only this, but we ourselves, having the first fruits of the Spirit, even we ourselves grown within ourselves, waiting eagerly for our adoption as sons, the redemption of our body. For in hope we have been saved. But hope that is seen is not hope. For who hopes for what he already sees? They were hoping, even in the beginning of Genesis, for a Savior. They were already groaning for a Savior. And we look at our world today, people are crying out for somebody to ease the pain of how hard this life is. You look at Christians that are probably trying right now to dig themselves out of rubble in South Asia. If there's a Christian there... Maybe their only hope is not that somebody will dig them out, but that when they close their eyes for the last time, that they'll see Jesus. When there's a Christian facing a terrorist today, and they're going to die today, they're not realistically hoping for somebody to save their life. Their hope is in the fact that when they close their eyes the last time, they're going to open them to see Jesus. That's the hope that we have. The hope of salvation in this world. We have a nice little bubble here in LaGrange. But we don't know that the next generation or the generation after that will not suffer similar similar fashions. So that's why it needs to be more than our namesake. The legacy that we build in this life needs to be more than just, you know, our personal kingdom that we build with our hands, that we pull up our own bootstraps It's got to be something that lasts for eternity so that when my name gets forgotten, then my great-grandchildren who don't know anything about their great-great-granddad, they can remember that somewhere down through the lines, faith has been passed down. I know I'm so grateful for my family, my privilege that my mom and dad in the service with me today. They pass faith down to me and my brothers and my sisters. It's a direct result for all of us. I love the Lord. Praise God. And I know it's not the case for every family. But I know it has to do, the Lord used their testimony to instill the fear of God in my life, righteous living in my life, faith in my life. They led me to call upon the name of the Lord my God. So even if you don't have children, even if we don't have kids... We have the ability to lead others to call upon the name of the Lord our God. And that truly is a heritage that's a worthwhile investment. That's one that has an eternal return. That's one that has the highest yield in the world we live in. That's the investment we should be working on. So then men began to call upon the name of the Lord. And in Hebrews 11.6, He is a rewarder of those who seek Him. If you do not know Jesus Christ... A lot of this message is about how Christians should be continuing to call upon the name of the Lord and building their Christian life. But if you don't know Jesus Christ, the only place for you to start is calling upon the name of the Lord Jesus Christ to save your soul and trusting Him to be your Savior. And as Christians, we might want to consider what's it going to take to leave a godly heritage that testifies of faith, testifies of righteousness, testifies of the fear of God, and testifies of hope. I'd like to invite you to stand as we pray about these things. God, thank you for this day. Thank you for the body of Christ, our church, church family. Thank you for this challenge in the Word of God. This genealogy that implies so many things about 
your desire for the world that we live in, your people, the people of God. Lord, please lead us to call upon your name. And as we call upon your name, I pray that you would produce in us as fruit, faith and righteousness, healthy fear of God, and hope of salvation that leads us through every day and every choice that we make. When tragedy happens, hope of salvation is there. When the good times are there, hope of salvation is there and we rejoice. But God, if there's a lost person in this room today, I pray that you would help them to just take a moment, come to this altar, or right there where they're at, they would cry out to you for salvation. They'd call upon your name. And they would ask you to forgive them of their sins. And they would ask you to change their heart. God, help us to build a heritage that testifies of these things. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. You're welcome to come to the altar in this time and pray or find a place right there where you're at and just seek the face of the Lord as we sing this song.
Lord Jesus, thank you for this day and for your spirit with us. Pray your name be glorified through our lives. I pray that we would exalt no other name but your name and your kingdom. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. I would like to uh, just say one thing. Uh, there's many of you. Um, we just, our family, we just had a new addition. Tirza Ann came to our family a couple weeks ago. Um, she was born. Uh, all is well. God has blessed us. Um, now, I, the only reason I'm saying this is because many of you have been praying for us. And many of you have come by our house, given us food, given us just given to us in a lot of ways. I just want to say thank you. And uh, if this church does not do that for everybody who gives, who has a baby coming to their home, we should. So uh, thank you guys for y'all's uh, blessing and being the church for us. Thank you for joining today's sermon. We would love to hear how today's message blessed you. Use the Contact Us link on our website at rosemontchurch.org. God bless.